podcast listeners. If you hear my voice right now, I need you to do something for me. I want you to take out your phone or on your computer, go to Apple Podcasts, search for Ask Your Old Head Podcast. You'll see my, my logo, my little picture, my little image there. Find the show. Please rate and write a review. It's a small thing, but it helps others find this work and find what I'm doing here. And it really, really matters, uh, as small as that may seem. So if you could please do that uh, before we get into the show, I much appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Let's get into it. Peace. Peace. I'm adjusted. Peace. Justice Roger. Hey, so we're back together again. And um wanted to dive in. Uh, Charles Blow, uh, economist of New York Times, uh, also the author of The Devil You Know, which we discussed uh, earlier this year. Yeah. Last year? yeah. Late, late last year, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he had a recent column that I thought was interesting about uh, the fund of police and just, you know, I'll read the, the title. Um, the fund of police is dead. Now what? Um, you know, and, and you know, through the police, through the peace, rather, uh, you know, the focus that, that he taps on is, and, and I think this is, you know, been well documented, mm-hmm. Um, and a part of the discussion, so, you know, we're not going to, I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time going like, well, is it like discussing the, the idea of the merits of the of the actual, you know, policy demand, policy ask, policy position, but more the nature of what is happening with it. Um, and and the the idea that that he really lands on or, or, or brings in the question is, um, you know, in, in many respects, the the, the general idea that as a, like an actionable thing that um, I don't know any like national elected or even a state level elected, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe a state rep could probably run on it in America, but like, you know, basically that it is a, it is more or less dead. People, you know, there, there's, there's been, you know, copious debate about, you know, whether it was wise politically or not, Um and then this general conversation about like well, what does it really mean and what does it mean to this people what does it mean to those people but the point he gets to at least in my eyes is it's sort of if if this conversation is paused is stopped right if this has a positive like well so so what what is the conversation around you know reform you know and change as it relates to um police, law enforcement, uh, public accountability as it relates to those two entities um, and the reality that that conversation and that concept is, 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 the, is the current interpretation of an ongoing frustration, you know, to stop, which unfortunately I actually was just scrolling through my, uh, I keep a, I have a, you know, a, one of those search alerts um, and there's always a black man or other black person, but definitely a black man. There's still the the the, the rate has not dropped <laughs> of the black man killed in contact with police. Um, you know, whatever the case may be, or the circumstances of the engagement. Um, so, yeah, I guess 
I hope that's enough framing. Let's <laughs> get started talking about it. Uh, but what were some of your thoughts from the, you know, the piece that he wrote? And, and if there's anything that jumped out at you, uh, yeah, let's chop it up a little bit. Yeah, I think. I mean, one. I mean, I think Charles Blow's a really good columnist and writer, and we talked, you know, about uh, the devil, you know, and you know, I think he takes nuanced, but you know. Uh, forceful positions um, that whether you agree with them or not, I think it's a it's a space for thought. Um, I think this one is definitely one um, where it, it's unusual. The language was so the language was so forceful of defund the police. I think a lot of people got behind it, especially when you watched someone murder someone. Right. So the, the idea is, is, though we know police violence has been going on um, against against all people. Right. Because sometimes we forget that police will <laughs> police will beat up a white person, too. Um, but police violence against all people, but specifically mm-hmm. like black people um, and black men, kind of the most acute has been going on for some time. But I think the ability to watch someone's neck you know someone be held down for almost 10 minutes um lended itself to the force of that statement and with the with the space where everyone was in around covid plus that i mean it was a really powerful space for that time it it wasn't you know it, it was not the thing that snick or the selc or the naacp did in the civil rights movement where everybody sat and debated the you know kind of wording and how we we're going to show up to the event right so it's way different than that kind of thing as far as a movement and being uh thoughtful around how that happens but for that time in that space it was very powerful and you know was a response to the time and i think he touches on a good point to saying okay if you don't like the statement and that's one thing do you understand the power of what it means for resources to be diverted if we assume or if we the data tells us one thing but i'll share my thought on that in a minute the data tells us that the increasing amount of police per se does not reduce a thing but i do think that's something in the in the minds and in the thoughts of people that it does right and so the the challenge on saying telling people well if you invest money in after school programs you're going to stop crime or you'll reduce crime Right. Like that's that's a leap that I think some for some people is difficult to take. And I think that's the kind of challenge of where we are now in the implementation strategy of idea of redirecting resources is is how do you do that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I, you know, and this is just you know speaking. From my experience in prevention and intervention work, um, my experience is as growing up black in America my whole life, uh, my whole life whole time i like to make sure everybody knows that whole time i was here you know what i'm saying um the i think at times this discussion becomes almost like talking about like a mythological creature of some sort because i think the size of it is like it, it gets sacrificed to what seems like a simple or quick answer or direct line. So what I'm saying is like, you go, all right, we, we can improve and make <laughs> our our communities um, 
safer uh, and more livable. If we have long-term strategic investment in the primary basic needs of the people in those communities um, and in equitable processes to maintain um, and, and sustain those those spaces, right? Which is like, oh yeah, everybody, like, you know, if you're one, if you're like a you know policy person, you're like, yeah, that's true. If you're an average person, you're like, what does that actually mean? <laughs> does that mean, right. like, what does that mean, right? And so then even if you, when you get into the, like, the nuts and bolts of a different way of responding to public safety concerns and the like broader idea of like making, you know, cause what we're really talking about is safe, sustainable, you know, uh, real <laughs> well running communities. Um, and when you, you have to, you have to put that in the light of a society, uh, you know, and not just the United States, uh, but our modern world, that at its core, uh, to to produce the energy, if we if we say that our modern world is is a result of the sort of the industrial revolution on an international scale, uh, you have a modern world that required the constant subjugation of other humans to develop the kind of the energy and the space to create the systems that like kind of still run and dictate uh, how we you know. This, this idea like oh we can like build stuff over here and then you ship it to these people over there and then they buy it and there's trade and people invest in things like we have this whole world that is constructed um on an input that at some point said that there were some people whose lives didn't matter and they could be right. fodder for the machine to work boom 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 you fast forward then you go yes you know the in order to um secure the safety of, of places where people live you had a mix of yeah you need there was you, we need some sort of entity that can be called and helped or when something goes wrong um and then but at the same time you also had like you know lawn runners tradition to sort of like you know maybe more in, we'll call them informal institutions that provided safety <laughs> in the you know maybe some more formally informal than others um, in terms of what we might call uh, street organizations or neighborhood associations or groups, um, sometimes dominated by a certain uh, ethnic or religious backgrounds um, that were cultural and specific. Not always fair, not always equitable, but they may have formed an order, right? So it, it, it's like, and I'm going, I know some people are like, where is justice going? I'm saying that we have an ab very abstract idea of how do we, how do you actually have order? Like most of us have experienced, if you live somewhere, Usually the places where one uh, may actually be safest, meaning the, the incidents that you may be the victim. And I think when people think of safety, they think of like violent crime. They may also be thinking of like, you know, people stealing your carburetor um, <laughs> or stealing your, your catalytic converter, um, which I just, for the record, there was a big bust here. Um, and the, the community where the folks were found to have been running at least one operation that was stealing catalytic converters and selling them up and down the West Coast was operating, or at least operating in full or in part out of Lake Oswego, Oregon. Lake Oswego is one of the wealthiest communities, if not the wealthiest in the state of Oregon. And just for the record, I don't know everybody, let's think about that and we'll come back to it later when we talk about public safety, that one of the wealthiest communities in the state was found to be harboring at least three locations that were operating and moving catalytic converters that have been stolen from all over the region. I'm just going to lay it out there and I'm not going to give any judgments at this time. So when we start talking about 
what how does one be safe most of the time if you live in a neighborhood or a space even if it's a block where most everybody has more or less what they need to you know be in their space it's you know relatively safe <laughs> you know what i'm saying like you 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 may not have the you know the, the open air drug markets you know of the of the 80s and 90s um and then the residual realities that happen with those spaces right that i think that's the nightmare kind of american like vision is this like folks you know uh, imbibing substances and then the things that some will, will happen when people are in that level of distress um the other aspect that i think people frame as a lack of safety are sort of this you know, generally just the idea that someone who I don't think I can account for how they're going to behave and or I believe whatever narrative has been developed about those people. So when they show up in the space that I normally in, I, I feel unsafe now, i.e. black person walking through a neighborhood that's not predominantly black <laughs> um, uh, or other communities, you know, moving through a space where people don't expect to see you. Um, like we get into this real murky, spacey place, right? So then when you land on police, Police become a very like, well, I know what that is. And they have on uniforms and they say they have a code and they got rules. So it's very easy to assign that wherever that entity shows up, it instantly makes a space safer. Right. If you're, again, not us who have experienced the other side of that experience and that the reality of every step of the when you study it, of whether it's protests um, from union organizing back to the 1800s late 1800s into the, the early 1900s as police were first forming to definitely any focused study on the American civil rights movement and related movements to uh, you know try to make the United States live up to its creed. Police often are landing on the wrong side of the historical page <laughs> as it pertains to you know protecting the rights of, of regular folks. Um, that's a, a, a reality of, of systems change that I, I would hope um, those in law enforcement. And I think I know, at least I know some professionals in that world who embrace that idea and acknowledge like, yo, we, we, we have a, a culpability here. Um, so when we get into discussion about the fund, the police, you have a high level of frustration that led, like, instead of analyzing, why would people, how could people be so frustrated with something that is in our system that they like, just, 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 just cut the budget. We don't even want to talk about changing. Let's just cut the budget, right? So instead of exploring that, instead of finding a way to embrace that, um, you know, we landed in this, you know, the ongoing American struggle of like being at, this is my analogy, my, my uh, metaphor for, you know, this conceptual sort of dining room table where these folks that are all related and the one family member comes again and you want to get rid of all the police. And you're like, well, I mean, you know, I'm saying I don't want to get rid of all the police. I'm just saying we should think about it. And, and then these other folks are going, but, you know, kind of gas customer pearls around the idea that, you know, some rogue band of uh, bandits of just waiting, like waiting on the other side of a hill for the police to leave to run over and take everybody's stuff. Right. Like none of that is actually how crime happens in America, but that is the. The framing. All right. So that I'd say <laughs> that then, and especially speaking to, you know, I guess folks who you know, would, would put themselves firmly in the conversation about systems change, what, what, uh, what is, what, what are we going to do to really create one, the simultaneous policy conversation about the investments that are needed to make the spaces 
um, that um, our communities primarily inhabit and others uh, safer, more equitable, and get what they need. Uh, and also, you know, have the uh, the appropriate tools and focuses to to engage, you know, the acute, you know, gun violence issues, you know, which which, you know, disproportionately impact black men. Right. So I, I spend a lot of time on that because of all the issues in, in, in America that definitely, without question, need to be rooted in what black men experience. Gun violence as it pertains to local you know, human spaces is an issue that we, we you know, it's us. We, we, we the ones that most often, you know, uh, you know, which gun violence is actually interpersonal violence, but guns being the, the implement of, of that interpersonal experience uh, outcome most of the time. Um, this is not necessarily a conversation about mass shooters, <laughs> right? Which is a different conversation about gun violence, um, which sometimes though all gets thrown in the same uh, pool, but the methodologies to impact those are different. So it's like if we if folks have by and large said we're gonna just leave, we're gonna drop the ball, we're gonna leave the the defund conversation alone. We're going to move on to other topics, but the the primary discussion then doesn't involve any discussion about prevention and intervention strategies, the difference between acute intervention work and long-term systems change to to, to not require, <laughs> right? I mean, that you have communities that don't no longer have the experience that you need that innate contact. And then the total difference in what these other areas of um, violence prevention, um, not to mention, you know, that domestic violence still being a, a primary driver. Um, and, and one of the higher, for most for most places, if there's something that's going to bring a lack of, you know, like an, an acute safety risk to your neighborhood, it is domestic violence happening in your, on your street with some, with one of the families on your street where you live. Like in this County, I'm not going to, it off the top, but there's been several of the shootings that have happened were all domestic violence related. Right. So when that number gets thrown out of oh, there this many shootings and this many deaths, that's usually not pulled out. Right. And that's not just that's not uh domestic violence, that's just domestic violence. That's not domestic violence by like race or you know certain class or circumstances, just the the reality of what domestic violence looks like in America. So it's like we have this this question and i think that the column asks it like all right if to everybody if if, if on the national kind of progressive to liberal arc of public safety and systems change discussion is going to not center on a conversation around the, the funding the police and and with that what that means the divestment from police and an investment in these other areas we're gonna have a conversation about investment <laughs> in structures or or not because we could just we could put that over here but how are we gonna add this other conversation? So well, I think that's that's I think there's a couple things that again looking at this focus of you know May 2020, May 2020, what's happening, you know, um the previous president, you know, doing what he's doing, let's just call it that. Um you had this like acute focus on when everyone could sit and watch a show to me, to me, this is my vantage point. When everyone could sit and have the attention on specific sets of issues, 
everyone has to come to grips with the act, the fact of I watched this happen for 10 minutes. It's not an accident. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a gun discharge. It wasn't a scuffle, right? Mm -hmm. It was a murder, right? Mm -hmm. And again, I think wisely people said, hey, this is a murder. This is why this needs to happen. I think a couple of things happened after that. I think uh, Joe Biden winning, becoming president, in some senses, took a lot, some of the pressure out of that. Um, And I think a lot of activists were trying to make sure it didn't come out of that. But almost like, you know where Joe Biden stands on police, right? Like, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you can't not have him there because of the other person that's there. Right. Right. So so politically, you have to make the decision of like, okay, do I take the guy who's saying who's telling you, hey, I'm with you 84 percent, but I'm not with you on this one. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Like, yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not with you. And do you have to eat that one? Quote unquote. Right. And then as we come out of the pandemic, you know, I think one thing you talked about, Justin, was a really good point was there are conditions that either people don't have what they need or their traumatic conditions that produce other behaviors, right? And I think when you look at like a lot of our communities, black, brown, um, you know, communities, you see some long-term traumatic challenges that, that are producing certain behaviors. The pandemic itself was a acute thing that I think has produced some unintended consequences other than the obvious death of millions of people. But it also created some, some, there were some infusions of capital into the, into the economy. There were people who could not work. There was a whole host of stuff that I think then created once the world started to open up a unique set of challenges that kind of reset our clock. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the challenges that we saw with like or that we are seeing in certain cities and certain areas are resetting the clock as far as people's perspective, because then it went from I had to be in the house to watch this. And no matter how I am, no matter how I see the world, I had to acknowledge I saw a man murdered on television mm-hmm. to. Hey, when are you going to send my kid back to school? <laughs> hey, do I have to get a shot? Right. So it becomes now these other things that become much more personal to people, unfortunately, then the systems change in the conversation and then the resulting kind of interpersonal violence and the level again of this like infusion of infusion of of cash into communities and some unintended consequences for those who know what I'm saying. I'll, I'll just leave it. I'll leave it there. Mm-hmm. That then started to create some conditions that were not prior, were not happening pre-COVID, right? There was some stuff you just weren't seeing pre-COVID that you see in communities now. And and we're going to have to do a long-term reckoning with this. This is something that the New York Times is going to do an article, I'm sure five, six years from now, and talk about, frankly, the emotional and cultural wreckage that came from COVID. Mm-hmm. And I think interpersonal violence and what you start to see more now with um, yeah, I'll just say it straight out. I think we got more comfortable with the idea. We we got reacquainted. Some people got reacquainted with the idea of the smash and grab. Mm-hmm. And it was a thing that was not, it was, it was not part of the arsenal of maybe a generation of folks a little younger of like, hey, how am I going to get paid? 
Right. Like that was that was a thing that came when I was a kid and everybody was scared to go downtown, uh, you know, for Easter because, you know, <laughs> it was happening. Right. It, 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 could, it could be you, as they say. It, it could be you. <laughs> Smash grab, like it, it could happen to you. And but I think it's like almost like 30 years or something that people was kind of like, well, that's not a way I'm going to actually do certain things. That's not a way I'm going to participate in the underground economy. And I think post, what's the name? Again, with, with some of the en- energy and anger, it became a part of this conversation. So we're just seeing all this kind of stuff. And I think from a policy perspective, it just moved it because now it it we left systems change and went back to individual experience. We went back to how does someone feel when they're in downtown Pittsburgh or downtown Portland or New York? Like how do you feel? Right. It went from so I think there's a there's a I have argued and have said on here before, I think the progressive community, the 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 center left has always struggled from ways to touch people other than like guilt. Mm-hmm. Right. I think guilt is the is the uh is the main tool of the persuasive process mm-hmm. for the center mm-hmm. left. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I this is my my I don't think guilt is a long-term strategy for change. I, I think um we've seen it over and over again the things that have changed. It was guilt and then it went into to your point about the systems of making people well, right? Like there's a difference between like, I'm mad at you, like this is this is wrong versus here's what I'm doing to make it right. And I think it suffers from that. And the internal push of the frankly Democratic Party. And the last thing I'll say here, a somewhat openness from some elements of the from of the conservative or the Republican Party to acknowledge the move just far enough not to piss off their constituents. Mm-hmm. Right. So they knew they knew how to get a bill passed to move just far enough to say that nothing changed. Now, there's not the substantive change that many people were looking for. Right. So I think it's one of those, again, goes back to these like political and structural realities of like an idea that is so important whose time has come has been kind of thrown into the, the political uh pinball machine mm-hmm. and 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 just bat it around. And the last thing I'll say about this is, and we've talked about this before, the idea of like, here's state, even if state sponsored violence, I'm going to be careful, careful with that, state accepted violence, mm-hmm. <laughs> state accepted murder. And the answer to dealing with that was give black people mortgages. Mm-hmm. Give black people jobs. Right. So all the money that came out was from banks and things about industries and their, you know, the movies now going to have more black folks on on thing. Google's going to give you more tablets. Uh, And so it it got it got away from like answering the question about state state accepted violence to like something that everyone was more comfortable with, which was giving money to create more diversity in an industry, which on a one-to-one level, is not going to produce the outcomes because the, the, how society will reallocate itself. Okay, you gave them some jobs. I don't know if they're going to live in a black neighborhood. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. And the way America's structured, if you're giving people a whole bunch of opportunities outside of a couple upper-middle-class places in America, rich black people or really well-to-do black people live with other well-to-do people. 
yeah. who tend to be white. Yeah. So the answer to of like, yo, let me give more people these like big opportunities is is necessary but insufficient to t- even touch the idea of state accepted violence. Or we have to have an internal <laughs> conversation. You know, we got to have a closed door conversation about this. How is it actually going to affect the black community when you give the when you give people opportunities, but that it doesn't create a cycle? So, mm-hmm. man, that's peace. I think I think I think you, I think you tapped the only thing I'll add just to, to, to put a put to put a pause. You know, on this particular th- discussion is, you know. I think the the questions that 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 the column and I encourage anyone, please read the column, you know, and feel free to shoot a message if if you feel so inclined around your thoughts of what what the column is stating and any and and just this issue um and this policy discussion or whatever have you um is though like we we still have like we still have not had a substantive um conversation about like safety. <laughs> about like like we 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 talk around the topic, but we don't talk about the topic. We talk around the issue of the conditions that, um, you know, supposed you know that these two things uh, parallel around or or the reasoning for their existence, but we do not we 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 behave as if and and I'm saying the collective we everybody that's part of the country. You know, I mean, me and myself too. I mean, I point finger at justice. Justice is part of 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 you know maybe trying to to have that conversation, but the, the, the planning, the, the details around what folks, um, what, what really goes into the world that we live in, inhabit, and, and are continuing to build uh, in the direction that it goes. And sometimes we talk about it as if we are not actors in it. Um, and as long as we continue to do that, uh, we will, you know, what, what you defer to others to make decisions about, others will make the decisions. <laughs> And you know, yeah. So I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm fully open to let. Let's talk about how we, we, we develop. You know what we do and how where we're going. Um, I don't know that everyone is actually on board with that. And and and, and for some, I'm sure it's probably quite a scary proposition. I mean, I, I'll share maybe at a future dialogue an article that I started reading, which I'm going to get the longer version of the article, um, just about the, the 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 frankly dystopian view that some people and some people with lots of resources have about our future as a society, and I think this this conversation is a part of that conversation, which we're going to have at a later date. So, with that, uh, you know, we could chess pass, uh, check ball to a new topic. Yes, <laughs> sir. Yes, sir. Um. So the other thing that uh, that since last time we recorded. Um, Really came up and I thought we wanted to touch base with you on was student loan forgiveness. Um, and, you know, everyone was anticipating since really since the election, I guess. Right. Am I fair in saying that? Like what the Biden administration's plan would be, you know, and, and you know, and, and all of the requisite arguments of whether or not the federal government can just decide student loans are forgiven or not, which uh, I'm going to say this and, I, and, I, and I'll ask any um constitutional scholars out there or U.S. history scholars, more or less, American society has shown you could do kind of whatever you want if everyone doesn't make a big stink about it, <laughs> um, which is one exhibited by the, the by the pernicious experience of Black folks under, uh, you know, since Reconstruction um, to the Civil Rights Movement and post, 
meaning that there was quite often a part of American society that you could just brutalize black people and more or less not face any consequences. So that's out there. That's on the record. It's not a really a controversial statement. Maybe some folks feel it is, but it's not. Look it up. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, and we, we could go into other, you know, that I know that being a very somber note. Sorry, everyone. Um, but the <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying my best. I'm trying to, I'll be trying to stay positive, man, but it's, you know, <laughs> it's hard to talk about our, our, our experience and not bring up the sad <laughs> stuff, man. Like, Yo, you said, let me take you to a deep, dark place. Deep, dark place. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The sound, a very serious episode of <laughs> the Good Brothers. You know what I'm saying? On a special episode, Justice is going to bring everybody down again. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I will say real quick, I, I think that's a, no, but here's a point of like, it's history. It's it's regrettable that it's happened, but it's important to note that it was a norm. Yeah. Like sometimes we have to sometimes the bad thing about not talking about history or trying to talk about it again using the uh using the grief methodology. In in the mm-hmm. in the and you know, is like no, it's part of history. It happened. Part of it is we don't teach actually American history in schools, so no one knows it actually happened. Right? Like no one knows that that actually is the case. But no, it happened. Let's it's on the record. Let's talk about it and let's actually just start from there versus starting from the the grief about the fact that it existed. Right, right. And and just and just to, to spread the, the wealth of, of mayhem and, and misfortune, um, you know, it's is the the use of whatever the operational administrative vehicle um has authority um to 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 uh to get other ends, i.e. Uh, I was reading something about like Salem witch trials and how at basically one, you know, they may have started on some, you know, whether you think this is a good or not, uh concern about <laughs> witchcraft <laughs> in the community, right? But you gotta understand that the religious aspect of the society that they were trying to craft required a, you know, a orthodoxy and everybody being on board. And so there you couldn't have people being witches and also build uh, you know, like a puritanical state. Um, then the other thing was that once it started rolling. You know, it became a vehicle. If you wanted that person's land, be like, oh, there's witches over there. Check them out. And then what happens? That land is now available, right? Like the, it ain't, this ain't the first, you know, and, and so when you look at the, the history of the, the idea of using whatever the administrative power to be twisted or contorted to other means for folks who, you know, as I was, I, I'm, this is just his opinion, didn't have the moral uh, intestinal fortitude to do the right thing and treat people right and be fair is not is not uh subcircumscribed just to black folks you know what i'm saying but we we pick a line share we hold a line share of it within the american dialogue so student loans <laughs> so what that gets to though is so everyone was waiting um and the plan that that they release and i think i think i for myself and i'm gonna say i don't know if i've said it on this um i i recently after 10 years of of, of uh you know, public service work, um, which I had, you know, took intentionally. Well, one, because I like working with my people and in the community and, and service. Um, but two, uh, under the understanding that after 120 payments, I would be able to get the remaining balance forgiven. Uh, finally, actually got the remainder of my student loans forgiven. Um, but the reason that I was able to do that was because when the Biden administration started, they did begin the temporary reassessment because the the analysis that showed that basically no one was getting the public service 
uh, the various different public services. And there's all kinds of loan forgiveness programs out there that are not just public services. One around medical, uh, going into medical fields. Um, I think there's ones, you know, there's, there's special programs for a lot of stuff that, you know, some of us may, may not know about. Um, but the capacity for me to get considered because of some technicalities basically required that temporary kind of adjustment that, you know, basically everyone, if you've been paying your balance, would have the opportunity to apply. And if you had the requisite employment, get your loans forgiven. And I was a beneficiary of one of those. Save the the, the collective Raji experience, uh, $29,000 of remaining debt. You know, and for that, Big Joe, you know what I'm saying? One love from Team Raji, you know what I'm saying? Way to come through and do what you said. Now, fast forward to the broader um, reality that, that goes beyond my experience is, you know, was it uh, 10,000 off if you get up to 20,000 or is it 20,000 or more or 20,000 if you received a Pell Grant? Pell yeah. Grant, yeah, if you had a Pell yeah. Grant. And, you know, Obviously, you know, folks wanted every whatever you had forgiven, right? They wanted, you know, however big it was, which I, I ain't necessarily I'm not here to judge if that is, you know, good or bad um, or, or, you know, but that was the desire. So some people were dissatisfied. Um, uh, others were like, hey, it it is. I mean, it's it for a lot of people that could be a significant cut in what they owe. Right. Um I guess uh, my question to you, just so I stop being the one talking. Um, what was your first thoughts just when you saw like kind of some of the, the plan was or like what was your I don't I don't I don't know if we've talked about it in detail. What was your what was your first thoughts or, or what is your thought around like just this? this approach? Yeah, well, I mean, so my first thought about it is. And I think this is just brass tax politics. The Democratic Party needed to have something that related as a real pull to young white people. Mm-hmm. I think you needed something to get them out. And there was nothing on the table other than Trump being Trump that would, that would have actually gotten them out. And I think a lot of the, you know, think tanks and people who have been thinking about this kind of stuff for a long time, were ready to pounce and say, Hey, here's a thing that if we do, we can get out, a disillusioned group of middle class or come from middle class communities, white kids. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the conversation around getting rid of debt for black folks is a different conversation. Mm-hmm. I think the conversation around the way of like some people feeling like they took a lot of loans for jobs that just are not there. Mm-hmm. And this is one way that you could directly speak to their needs because they don't have needs. And I'm speaking generally here, a middle-class white kid is holding a whole bunch of debt, doesn't have a whole bunch of other interventions in our economy. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a whole bunch of other stuff you could do to give them something very particular. You could say, you could work with the dreamers, you could talk about HBCUs, you could talk about building more affordable housing. You could talk about increasing American uh, worker protection, like all the different groups that that the Biden campaign needed to cobble together. There were obvious things in all of those. 
but I think there was a missing population. So I think that's where at the end of the day it comes from. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, Joe Biden, President Biden is who he is. This is like I talked about on the other side. He is who he is, right? Right. So he wasn't trying to give all, all y'all, let all y'all off the hook. <laughs> now it's important to remember that my student loans have been my student loans have been taken via my salary <laughs> at a variety of times. So I'm one of the few people in the world they already took my money. <laughs> Word up. Yeah. They already they took them through a couple different uh uh a couple different times of some tax returns. But <laughs> but like you know, so I think that that's the, the reality of like, okay, here's how you get to a place if you're saying you're going to do it. 10,000 would never have been enough yeah. because the debt that people are holding with the assumptions of what it would do for you in American society is way bigger than that. I do think that the vantage point of doing it and making the Pell Grants get more was a racial equity lens on the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was it was done very well because it's acknowledging the nature of it. You were holding, you were coming from a certain position and holding more debt generally. Yeah. yeah. So I think from a policy perspective, it was actually well done. Um, again, you would never make everybody happy, but along with the other wins that you know the Biden administration has been getting, I think it was a good addition. I do wonder. If they hadn't got some of the other stuff done, would it have been that number? Like, I mean, I'm inclined to think it would have been a bigger number. But yeah. when you get the IRA, you get all these bills, right? You get the CHIPS Act, you're getting all this stuff. The the student loan one doesn't have to be the big kahuna, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I so I think, you know. It was it was an important strategy to get there. It was an important strategy of promises, you know, promises made, promises kept. And I also think that student loans, very much like the other conversation we're having, it's all about this idea of systems that we are now coming to understand again are broken because the systems, the systems of how much loans that you could take out and where you could go was based on, in my estimation, I think historically, it's not just my perspective. If you take out this amount of stuff, you will go and make this much money and you'll be able to pay them people back. Right. Right. So you're taking this as a, a loan out on your success in our society. And I think for years we accepted that you're taking this loan as a success because if you go to, college and if you go to grad school and if you do these things you will make enough to make it make sense and then the banks and these people will get their money too right part of the american economic system when that has broken down that promise that you would make this amount of money is no longer there Mm -hmm. right the promise that the job you had to do a set of things may be sent to someone else organizations have gotten better technologically they don't need as many people mm-hmm. to do what you may have done t- definitely 30 and even 20 years ago so th- so the system to me what you know as we're talking about this systems change and systems break down 
the conversation is going to have to be had now, you know, whatever people got to 10,000 or maybe more of what is the role of colleges in the cost of college, mm-hmm. the cost of these loans versus what's out here for you to succeed professionally. And I think you, we got to have a massive reconstruction of that conversation. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and, and I think it bears, you know, the, the, or 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 pushers or asks that we we look at like, you know, one knowing the history of, of even the, the 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 current structure that we have, and there's good articles out there and 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 books about this, you know, back to, uh, you know, you know, oddly enough, starting in California, which at one time and, and still has pretty robust. At one time, had the most most robust kind of investment in education in the country. You know, where generally almost anyone. Uh, for a time, if, if you could get through high school, you could go and get a, a really cheap um, degree, you know, in, in whether that be a liberal arts field to um, a science field, whatever you, you could do it. Um, and 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 the idea that um, a contingent of our society, um, I guess, you know, the, the, the late 60s, to 70s, you know, conservative movement felt that that it was too nice a benefit and people weren't grateful. <laughs> I mean, that's, that ain't just justice's words. That's, that's from multiple sources that have talked about that time frame and the idea of we're going to basically make this more add, put more risk on you as the student that then may circumscribe your wish to kind of agitate, you know, whether, whether the reality of, you know, which often goes to the American fascination with, well, I guess probably not just America. It's probably a worldwide thing of like, people are dissatisfied with the structure of society. And then I pick some part of society to decide that that's the part of society that's, that's why they're actually upset. Not because this is an unfair system. Right. So like, you know, at some point in a European village, there was a surf and the surf was like, yo, this is fucked up. I can't leave. And then, and then the person goes, oh, man, them serfs, if they just didn't know there was people on the other side of that hill, they wouldn't be dissatisfied. It's like, no, the system is not fair, dog. <laughs> like, right. it has nothing to do with the people on the other side of the hill. This is unfair. You get to own, you basically own me. I can't leave. <laughs> right. And then, except then when, you know, industrialization changed and suddenly you didn't need all those serfs and peasants hanging out in the valley no more. So then you're like, hey, we got this thing happening. It's called colonization. You want to go over to another country and like, see if you can start a future there? Right. Like this is right. this is this is the cascading reality that we exist in here. And again, that's not just circumcised to the but we live in America, which is, you know, anyway, connected to Europe and colonization, da da da. So just can anybody miss those connections. Then so you get to this age by the time we're in in, you know, starting college in the nineties, we're probably I, I think I think the nineties is sort of the break point between like where you still did have like state pretty decent state investment in most schools, but Schools were moving to the like, oh, we could just load these people up. These people can load up with loans and afford this. So whatever, whatever is we're not getting in terms of state level investment and in, in particularly speaking to land grant institutions and publicly funded institutions, we can offset that to the students taking out more loans, um, moving to this age now where there's the offset to students taking more loans and then also charging an exorbitant rate for international students to subsidize. I mean, it's quite, it, it starts sounding like a real, you know, when you start looking and you read some different things about the financing of how so much stuff is paid for by like charging somebody that can pay a lot <laughs> more 
as opposed yeah, absolutely. And then and then again, kind of referencing the previous conversation, not having a larger conversation, like why are we doing this? <laughs> like we, you know, what are people coming to these places to learn? Like the, you know, there's people that decry sort of the, the direct connection of the idea that that college is this workplace development space when it should not be um, in totality, although you can't escape that there are certain things um, in professions and the profession that we quite need, like, well, well I mean, I could run them down, but, you know, medical <laughs> uh, engineers, uh, scientists, even though some, you know, some of these may be able to be done in different structures, right, than the way that the modern college uh, experience works. But we do need people to learn certain skills <laughs> and, and, and trades. And then we do also need space where people are just developing their intellectual capacity to what? Respond to our changing reality. Right. And, and get the tools. To <laughs> yeah. Like we have to we have to get away from this idea like you can't go. You shouldn't go to college. To learn how to be smarter. Like, yes, there's stuff on the Internet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that everybody, every kid is not self-directed. If we follow that logic, just give a kid a computer. Right. And they'll just learn it. They'll just find all the Yeah, just find all the good stuff. And then end up smart. <laughs> find all the good stuff. Let them watch then they watch Bill Nye the science guy and everything will be okay. Like, no, there's a process of what people know how to do and are skilled with imparting information. And there is an important part of thinking about the world. And this is from a person who does choose to learn a whole bunch of stuff, you know, with, you know, by myself and obviously how we how our learning system goes like. But at the same time, that doesn't mean you shouldn't go and take a class to learn about history. Yeah. Because someone got paid to tell you some shit you couldn't find out. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, so I, you shouldn't you shouldn't do that. Yeah. And the, the thing I, I would 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 would. would propose to those who don't or like well i mean you could just google it i'd be like listen i go on twitter and search up syllabus syllabi because different sometimes and i've seen it's not bookmark them sometimes where folks are teaching a class and they'll be like hey i'm serious my syllabus for this year and you know one of the especially when you when you if you have the, the good fortune to, to work with a, a really good academic that's really into setting a foundation for you to learn about whatever their area of expertise. When you see the depth of sources sometimes that are in, you know, what, 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 what you have the opportunity to study, if you had to do all that legwork to get all those sources, so then you could start reading to start working on learning about the thing, you, we all can't get there. It's a waste. It's not, it's a totally inefficient way to think about learning to go like, no, no, there shouldn't be, we shouldn't try to pull from people who had to like share our collective sort of like, yeah, I went real deep on this. And now I'm going to share it with other people and go, no, you go deep on your own and find it. It's like, nah, man, if you already went deep, man, share that. So I don't, I can, you know, because my interest might be over here. You know what I mean? I, or, um, and, and then also the general reality, you know, like, and this is my, and I'm, I'm at some point I'm going to do a, a Raji deep dive or deep rant on the way people think about IQ, especially certain people. You know, I ain't gonna call them out, but there's a certain group of people who, when you go on the internet, who will go like, "Yeah, you probably don't even have a high IQ." And what what they're trying to say is, you know, they're still believing in the the fully made up construction that some people are just smarter based on their race, <laughs> uh, which was, you know, going back to Linnaeus, which was totally made up. Linnaeus just made it up. He didn't 
you know, like a lot of things you can do. He made it up, but like he made it up. You are you were on fire today. You are a doozy today, Jack. Yeah, man. You know, I'm red hot, man. They they have been, you know, people out here, you know, say you go about to come off my stoop, as they say. <laughs> about to get off the stoop, right? Like we have these things and folks will just throw it out there, but for them, it's their vehicle to go. I don't need to listen to you because, but, but the reality is like, we, there's a value to creating the centers to, to not to one, to, to study, to hold what has been learned, to create the infrastructure, to make sure things that have been learned can be shared. And it's also the constant experience. And I remind people of this, that, Sometimes people, despite folks, oh, you know, as as I had to say to a family member, you know, well, one, I guess there's a, there's a whole lot of problems with Elon Musk, but I'll just say this: people assign him this great intellect and ability, but somehow he still started a factory that doesn't treat people of color well, despite everything we know about management, institutional design, all the information that's out there to make it an equitable and fair space. You still have somebody that. You know, you have black and brown folks experiencing things in their in in in, in the manufacturing facility right now, right? And that has a pending lawsuit, civil lawsuit, I believe, is still underway. Making Teslas, which is supposed to be this modern futuristic car, but you still couldn't develop the internal structure to have a fair and equitable uh, experience for the people who work there. How come your intellect can't fix racism? <laughs> right? We had very smart people who would then go, yeah, and those blacks. Not so, not so great, right? Like, it, it, it's a, it's a bad equation, right? So there's that, and then other part, just again, staying and I'm just going off on the edge. Uh, the the loan forgiveness and a part of the deal is the idea that you're going to take on sort of this learn this specialized world so that you could do specialized roles within our society that you might not be able to do if you didn't do this certain type of coursework or go to this type of study or get this particular type of training and the the other side of that then becoming this sort of thing and, and i and i as i used to call it to my kids you know the academic america american academic warfare where you have to decide like are you going to be a person that's going to you know go to a private expensive hard to get into school which then is supposed to assign a certain level of merit to you to be worthy of high paying roles inside of, you know, the fortune 500 ent- entities, um, the large, you know, uh, uh, nonprofits, think tanks, you know, specialist worlds, you know, are supposed to influence the direction of our society. Um, and there's definitely an overpromise in terms of like, Oh, you just get a degree, man. And the world is your, is your oyster. And it's like, no, it ain't <laughs> right. Like in some people, you know, I'm fully aware of that, but there's other things like if you want to be a teacher, Yo, you need to go to a teacher college. Like you need to go through a teacher learning experience. Yes, you can learn certain things about teaching just by being working in schools and and being like, well, you know, we just got to connect with the kids as people, right? But there is structural stuff that is good for you to sit and contemplate so that you don't, when you hit those hard parts of being a teacher, you're not trying to start from zero, that you can actually grow from the wisdom of others. You can have the balance between you know, experienced long-term teachers, um, folks who've sat and done studies, like there's, there's, there's all these different ways and we should have a way it's, it's in the best interest of our society to fund that. It's also in the best interest of our society. If you're going to, it's to pay people fairly, which is then gets to the other side of this is that you, you, you go, you spend a lot of money 
to get a degree. And then you find out people are like, yeah, man, you know, you need to have uh, a degree that may have cost you anywhere um, at, at the market price when you bought it. Now, I'm going to go by 90s numbers. When I graduated, what was it? Uh, I think it was six, eight thousand, six, seven thousand for Pitt in state by the time I graduated. Maybe. Something like that. Yeah. Let's just say it was. Let's just say it was seven thousand. I paid I paid the out of state rate <laughs> early, and then the last the back end I paid the in state rate. So let's just say four years. Let's say that that the before interest and other stuff that bill was sixty thousand. We'll just we'll just do that for conversation sake. That then when I get the sixty thousand dollar investment in myself, and then you tell me, yeah, we got this job for you. Need to be need a degree. We're gonna start at twenty seven thousand. You know, even and even in early to you know two thousand in Pittsburgh numbers, twenty seven thousand. It was probably okay. Like, I mean, as a single individual, you you might you could make it work, right? We both live right, there. right. right. At, at, depending on where you're willing to live or have a roommate. I mean, I, I to your point, I just think it's a misalignment. Yeah. Like, we had an alignment for a long time, and the things got misaligned, and we never went back around to check the alignment. Mm-hmm. And so now you have a system that's so misaligned that you have to continue to go to school to make what you would have made with a master's degree with a PhD. You had to get a PhD to make what you would have made with a master's 20, 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And only but a certain amount of people can get into schools that almost guarantee you a job. Right? There's a certain amount of schools, like you said, certain private schools in America or schools that are from land grants. Those places may promise you through connections, networks, and whatever have you. Mm-hmm. But you're paying so much for it. And so when the misalignment comes about, then you get to, to me, what we get to in America with this idea of fairness and who gets what and why. And how loans can be seen by some people as like, hey, you know what you were taking versus a tax cut. Now, I've, I've said it before, the Trump tax cut benefited me. <laughs> I'm not going to front and sit here and act like I didn't have more money in my uh, in my check. Right. But people will take, oh, you worked for that. So therefore, you deserve a tax cut, right? Versus do you deserve to get money off of a thing that you're paying on? You know what I mean? So it cuts to this like really clear thing of fairness, which is why I think, you know, in in a unique way, the idea of liberal arts schools are still important because it's still about thinking about society and how things are and how they're distributed and then having you know, a public discourse about how things are distributed and not taking for granted that everyone should agree with how you think about how things are distributed, but really having a public conversation to be able to be persuasive for people to understand a way that they things should occur. And I think that's like the importance of your ideas being in the public square mm-hmm. and debating them versus accepting a status quo, which I think the tie today between defund the police and and student loans, the through line is clearly the assumption of the status quo mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. versus is there a new conversation? Yeah. And good. what and what brings about what and what makes the new conversation the conversation to happen? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think um, 
the only other thought I, I had on it was, I mean, I think it's a great, it's, it's in the absence of, of the, the, of other options. It's not a terrible deal necessarily. Um, I think I, I would, I would personally also, um, um, I would say hope that the process that's been in place around the temporary, uh, you know, um, relief due to public service, that that would maybe continue like in tandem with this, right? So folks that may be doing, you know, education work, other public entity serving roles would have the access to the opportunity to, to get some of their debt forgiven. And that this not be the end of the conversation, right? Like, I think that there are, I could, I could, you know, Raji throwing half-baked ideas up against the wall, could motion that there, there are several ways that we could think about, like, how could you start to cut into what people are experiencing in terms of their debt load um, related to student loans so that, um, you know, they, they, they could get up under from under that. You know what I mean? I know, I mean, I've heard the various different horror stories and the, like, you know, folks doing the, like the what's the name payment levels and where you're paying this minimum payment. But due to that, the actual debt is continuing to get bigger and bigger. So like, you know, the way compounded interest works, suddenly you have a $300,000 bill that's pretty much based on interest on the interest, which, you know, seems unfair. I don't know. Maybe I'm, <laughs> you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, 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 I'm being wild. Like I, I think the idea would have be more optimal to have something like that be we we spread out you know there's some kind of cap to how much interest can go on you know something quite frankly that it's not like you're going to be able to resell it you know what i mean it's not like a car like you're you're right. uh, <laughs> no it's not like you could uh save that car you bought on a really crazy loan and had to get a refinance because of this but you could make it like a classic car if you hold it long enough it'll be like hey they don't even make those no more like you know what i'm saying like it's it's it has got to be just debt. a better yeah, answer. It's just, it's just debt. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a actual tangible product. Yeah. So I, I think, I think that um, my hope would be that further work in this area would, would start moving to like, I mean, you know, quite frankly, I'm, I'm sure someone better in finance and other things could tell us that there's got to, there's got to be some gigantic lies on people's balance sheet about what they <laughs> really are valued at. Which is like, oh, you're talking about that? That's what you're citing as collateral for this or this other move you're making seems a bit fishy maybe we should do something a little more substantial like maybe we should maybe we shouldn't base our economic decisions on these sorts of things but hey. so you know I'm, I'm also if anyone that's super dissatisfied with it i'm cool with that too this is not a justice telling you not to feel how you feel i'm just you know making some space so that we can hopefully keep working on it so hey that's all i had yes sir well you know for everyone today you have received, you haven't received the full force and brunt <laughs> of his intellectual capacity. <laughs> but you've gotten a show. <laughs> oh, thank you. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm just trying to do my part to keep the conversation. You know what I'm saying? We say we got to start the conversation in America around all our inequities and unfair things. So I'm just trying to start the conversation. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. So with that, uh, appreciate you. And I'll say, uh, unless anything else for good in order, I'll say peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to Good Brothers. Thank you to my good brother, Majestic. Ask Your Head Podcast is a creative production brought to you by me, Justice Raji, uh, and Good Brothers is a part of that. You can support the podcast by listening, sharing wherever you listen, rating and subscribing wherever you listen. You can also search up Justice Raji on Patreon and become a patron. 
you can also head to Etsy and search up Ash Your Old Head and buy a t-shirt or a mug or a hoodie and uh, put something towards the cause. Uh, every dollar counts. Uh, please take the best part for yourself and uh, you know, we'll see you again soon. Peace.